back to The Word is Resistance, a podcast exploring what our sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, and thriving in the context of empire, violence, and repression, the times in which we are living today. What do our sacred stories have to teach us as white people about our role in resistance, in showing up, in liberation? My name is Blythe Barnell, and this is a project of Surge Faith. This podcast is designed to be a resource for white people who are realizing that to be Christian in this time and in this country requires listening to, learning from, and joining in with the struggle against racism and white supremacy. A bit about me. I'm a queer white femme who was raised working class in Ohio and now lives on the occupied Ohlone land known as Oakland, California. I'm a writer, preacher, and community organizer. I learned what I know about the sacred from harm reductionists, survivors, sex workers, and working class grandmas, my community. You can learn more about me at feminary.com. The scripture I'm going to respond to today is John chapter 20, verses 24 to 29. I know it's not this week's lectionary text, but I think it's got something to say to us today. I always like to read the scripture so we know more clearly what we're dealing with, so here we go. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not yet seen, and yet have come to believe. Blessed are those who have not yet seen, yet have come to believe. The Gospel of John is full of issues of believability. Again and again, this issue of belief and disbelief comes up. In fact, Jesus spends most of that Gospel trying to show folks who he is. He turns water into wine, feeds thousands, restores sight and mobility. He even walks on water. Some might say... He was trying to prove himself. Now, I imagine Jesus was probably a pretty humble guy, but I can kind of imagine him going, Okay, guys, do you believe me now? Hello, son of God, get it? Look what I just did. No? Nothing? Really? All right. I mean, Jesus performed seven different miracles, and still people doubted him. Still, people didn't quite get it, and I wonder why. Was it just too big for them? Too far beyond their comprehension? 
Too scary? Too life-altering? Maybe. In our world, we like to have proof. We rely heavily on reason, on our brains instead of our hearts, as if our whole system isn't connected, as if it has to be one or the other. Several years ago, I decided I wanted to be a volunteer at a local rape crisis center. After 80 hours of training, I was certified to work the hotline. But as my first shift approached, I got nervous. Really, really nervous. Would I say the right thing? What if I made it worse somehow? Would I be able to handle the terrible things I would hear? During that first shift, I got several calls, and my heart ached, and I was inspired, and something else happened that I didn't quite expect. I doubted. Some of the stories I heard sounded just too awful to be true. Now, I'm not naive. I'm acutely aware of the prevalence of domestic and sexual violence in our world. I had no illusions. But some of these stories just didn't quite add up, and I found myself listening for hints of dishonesty instead of the reality of their lives. So after a few shifts, I checked in with my supervisor. We sat down, and sort of sheepishly, I said, well, how do you know if all the people who call are telling the truth? And she looked at me and said, what does that matter? She said, that's not your job here. It's not your job to play detective or discern whether or not someone is lying. Your job is to listen, support, and to respond with what is needed. That's it. And besides, she said, what would it cost you if you believe them? What would it cost me to believe them? I sat with that for a really long time. I realized I had been operating out of a place of scarcity, as if I only had a certain amount of empathy and I couldn't afford to waste it on anyone who didn't truly need it. So I tried to discern who deserved it and who didn't. My next shift, I decided I would choose to believe every person I spoke to. And it changed me. It made me a better counselor and community member. I listened more deeply, offered more nuanced responses, and I learned so, so much. And I realized what a gift that is, to believe someone unconditionally. It made me think of how often I needed that in my own life. Now that's not to say that folks didn't embellish sometimes. But even then, it wasn't to lie. It was to get the response, the outrage that they deserved and had been denied. We're quick to doubt and slow to believe. And I wonder what it costs us. News of families separated at the borders, travel bans, and the continued murders of people of color at the hands of the police those stories continue to amass. Immigrants, Muslims, black folks, and others are being targeted for violence in our country. They're assaulted, 
arrested, deported, and then blamed. And it seems to me that the most common response, particularly from white people, is doubt. Did they have a weapon? Did they do everything according to the law? Did they have prior run-ins with law enforcement? Did they use drugs or alcohol? Did they resist? These are all questions we use to veil our doubt, when perhaps what we're really asking is did they deserve it? For centuries, we've been shown the horrors of racism. We've seen movements for civil rights, farm workers, sanctuary, and black lives. Yet still so many question whether or not racism still exists. Still people say we live in a post-racial society. It's been said before, but Jesus was also a man of color. He was also killed by the state. He also had previous run-ins with law enforcement. And he also enjoyed his wine. And he also resisted a culture aimed at killing him. And he too was disbelieved. And then there was Thomas. Now Thomas considered himself a good disciple. He followed Jesus and encouraged others to risk for the gospel. But there he was, doubting. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. What wounds do we ask to poke into in order to believe? What does our doubt cost us? Jesus offered Thomas his wounds. He said, put your finger here in my hand. Reach out and put it into my side. Some read this and hear a generous Jesus. But I'm not sure. I wonder if Jesus wasn't angry. See, while he was alive, he said over and over again, I did this so that you might see and believe. But that changed. That changed after the crucifixion. That changed after the resurrection. And I wonder if Jesus didn't come to Thomas exasperated that even in death, even after appearing to the apostles, he still doubted him. I wonder if he came to Thomas and said, fine, Fine, put your fingers here in my hand. Put your hand in my side. Because after he said, blessed are those who have not yet seen, but believe. Maybe Jesus was done showing, done explaining, done trying to prove himself. In the past, it might have been sufficient for us to have to see to believe. But we're past that point now. We've seen the wounds, heard the policies. They loop over and over again. We watch people crucified on our screens. And then a few days later, sometimes only a few hours, we're watching people rise up. But still we doubt. And I wonder, 
Is it just too big for us? Too far beyond our comprehension? Too scary? Too life-altering? Maybe. Jesus offered his wounds to Thomas, but it doesn't say anywhere that Thomas pushed into them. And I can't imagine he would. In fact, all he could say was, Oh my Lord, oh my God. I feel that way sometimes. In my shock, in my overwhelm, and in my grief, I look around and all I can think is, Oh my Lord, oh my God. And all I know in that moment is that I don't want to push into those wounds anymore. What does our doubt cost us? It costs us the kingdom of God. Our doubt wounds the kingdom of God because it wounds the people of God. So what if we were believers? What if from this point forward, when someone named the ways racism impacts them, impacts our country, big or small, we just believe them? What if we didn't need proof of someone's suffering before we offered our empathy? What if we allowed ourselves to be changed? What if we understood that our job is to listen, support, and respond with what's needed? What if we heard Jesus when he said, stop doubting and believe? What would it cost us? What does it cost us if we don't? For this week's call to action, I encourage you to reflect on a moment when you've doubted the experience of a person of color in regard to race or racism. It could be someone you know or a story you heard on the news. Perhaps someone described a microaggression they just experienced and your response was, oh, no, 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 I don't think they meant it like that. I think they were just having a hard day. Or maybe you saw a story about a police officer shooting an unarmed person of color and you thought, oh, he wasn't shot because he was black. The officer just thought he was reaching for a weapon. How does your doubt serve you in that moment? Is it protecting you from something? What is it? How does your doubt impact people of color in your life? How does your doubt inform how you understand issues of race in this country? And what if you're wrong? What would it look like to start believing people of color in your life in big and small ways? What would it feel like to swallow your doubt and risk believing? How could that change you? How could that change the world?
thank you for joining us today. Let us know what you think about today's episode by commenting on our SoundCloud or Facebook pages. As always, you can find a transcript of this week's podcast, including links to resources and copyright information on our website. The music you heard is a live recording of a song gifted to the freedom movement by Dr. Vincent Harding, We Are Building Up a New World. The group you hear singing is No Enemies, a multiracial group of activists and musicians in Denver, Colorado, who come together for movement choir practice to bring singing back into direct actions and other movement spaces. This particular choir practice is led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We're deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for allowing us to use this song for the podcast. You can find out more about Surge at showingupforracialjustice.org. To find our podcast again, simply search for The Word is Resistance on SoundCloud or iTunes. Be sure to tune in next week when we'll have a brand new episode. Until then, may you go forward in the peace and power of a God who loves us for all that we are, and in spite of nothing, the same God that calls us to the work of justice. Amen. Amen.